All right, well, good morning, guys. If, um, if amen means uh, I agree, then after that song, then amen, 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 amen. What an amazing song that was, wasn't it? Happy New Year's to you guys. It is great to have you here today. Uh, today is the year, time that we come together each and every year because Donnie has given me the opportunity the last five years to teach this week right after Christmas. And so we've kind of started this tradition where we come together, we play a, a game together called, Is the World Really That Much Worse Than It Used To Be? Okay? And here's the way this thing works. If you've been here years gone by, you know the game that we're talking about. What we do is we take the year that we're just finishing and we kind of compare it to a year, I don't know, sometime in the past. And the reason we play this is because some of you walk around, you're doom and gloomers, right? You know who you are. Don't raise your hand, right? You're like, oh, the world's falling apart. I would argue that things aren't all that much different than they've ever been. But let's just see. Let's do it objectively. Now, some of you would want to look at the news. Nah, news comes and goes. What we want to do is look at the year today. We're going to look at 2023 in the world of pop culture, the things that pull our minds and our attention and our money out of our pockets, right? And we're going to compare pop culture 23 to pop culture 03. So here you go. We're going to do it in movies, music, and celebrities. So here we go. In the year 2003, that was 20 years ago. Some of you weren't even alive then. In the year 2003, the number one movie in the year 2003 was Finding Nemo. You guys remember that one? Just keep swimming, 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 right? This one's going to blow your mind. This number two movie in the year 2003, 20 years ago, was Pirates of the Caribbean. It has been 20 years since we were introduced to Captain Jack Sparrow. It's unbelievable, right? Now let's compare that to 2023. The number one movie in 2023, we all know what it was. What was it? Barbie. Barbie, all right. So Barbie this year. The number two movie this year, the number two movie was not Oppenheimer. It was actually Super Mario Brothers. I didn't go see it. I didn't get to either one of them, but I heard it was a great movie. Um, so I don't know. If you compare the two, you got Nemo and, 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 uh, and Pirates, you got Barbie. Tell you what, let's give a point to 2003, all right? We're going to give a point to 2003. I think that's fair. Um, I don't know. I, I get to say that because I have the microphone. But here we go. Um, music. The one, ar the artist in 2003 that stayed longest on Billboard's Top 100 was a guy by the name of 50 Cent. You guys remember 50 Cent? Now, for me, I gotta tell you, music ended in like 1998 for me because at that point, I figured there's like 600 years of music that's been written. I don't need more. I'm good. I'm tapped out. But that was 2003, it was 50 Cent. This year, this one kind of blew me away when I did my, my, my in-depth research. The number one song, for the first time in two decades, the number one artist that stayed on Billboard's Top 100s was a country music star named Morgan Whalen. I don't know if you guys know this guy or not. Uh, people are actually applauding, okay? So look, I don't know either one of them, but because I would lean country, I'm giving a point to 2023, all right? So here we are. We are now at the tiebreaker, the tiebreaker to determine if the world is really that much worse than it's ever been. The, the 2023 celebrity of the world we all know who it is, Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, if you're a Swifty, keep your hands down. It's okay. I see people, they're so excited. Yes. In 2003, the number one celebrity, according to People's Magazine, was Jennifer Aniston. 
I don't know if you guys remember her or not. Okay, so, so look, I'm looking at all the objective evidence in front of us today, and I say it's a push, right? The world is pretty much looks a whole lot like it did in 20, 2003. It hasn't changed that much. Uh, some news have changed, but, you know, I, there may be some of you that totally disagree with me. That's okay if you disagree. Um, you may be a little bit more nostalgic. You look at years gone by and you go, oh, I appreciate that, especially at this time of year. Because it is this time of year that a lot of times we start getting nostalgic about things. And we start, I guess the whole concept of time, it, has an, it takes up more of our attention than it normally would. Now, that's not uncommon because time has taken up mankind's attention since the beginning, right? We actually, there's something in, of us, in us that needs to mark and measure time. So when you look at time, we measure it in, in a lot of different ways. One way we, we measure it is in terms of, you know, seconds. You have seconds, we have minutes, we have, have hours, days, weeks, time, uh, weeks, decades, centuries, the list goes on, right? We get that. We measure time in certain ways. There are other ways we measure time as well. Do you realize the vast majority of the world measures time in terms of B.C. and A.D.? B.C. means uh, before Christ. A.D. means ad domini. It's a Latin term, which means in the year of our Lord. And so the vast majority of the world, there's some sections of the world that don't, but measure all of time at the birth of Christ. And because we are year 2023, it's been 2,023 years since the birth of Christ. That's the way the world measures time. But if I went and asked you on a personal level, tell me about your life in times. Give me your story in the time that you would measure it. All of us would measure it differently because our experiences are very uniquely different. I mean, maybe I'd come, you'd come to me and, and I would say, well, I measured time. My first bucket was until I graduated high school and then it was before I got married and then maybe after I had kids. I don't know, something along those lines. But my experiences may be very different than yours. You may measure it extremely differently. I, I know people who measure time who truly say that their life was defined before cancer and after cancer. That makes sense. There are other people that measure time in terms of when did a special person come into my life or when did a special person leave my life. And those are the big ways that we mark time. But what I would tell you today is because our, our experiences are so unique, I would tell you this, that I truly believe, and I want to position something with you today, that there is one way that we, and an approach that we can define time that is, is not only universally common to each and every one of us in here, but it is, revolves around the single most important point in everyone's life. And we're going to see how it's measured by a guy by the name of Paul today. If you have your Bibles, go into to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, um, we finished two weeks ago the book of Genesis that we ran all year. Next week, we begin the book of Romans, and so I get to play a little bit today. So we are in Acts chapter 26, and as you go there, let me give you a little of the, the scene that's playing out. The scene that plays out in Acts chapter 26 is taking place in a place called Caesarea. If you've ever been to Israel, I hope you've gone there. It is an amazing place. You can still go there today. It's about 60 to 70 miles north-northwest of Jerusalem. It's on the coast. It is absolutely stunningly beautiful. I've been there a few times. If you go there, um, Caesarea was actually originally founded. It was built around 25 B.C. So let's call it 2,050 years ago, something like that. 
And if you go there today, you can see some amazing ruins, well-preserved. You can see homes that are 2,000 years old. You can see bathhouses. You, um, you can see an arena where they played games and the gladiator games took place. There's also, what I think is amazing, is there's an amphitheater there. And that amphitheater is, is well-preserved. It's actually still in use today. Uh, they have concerts. People come. There are speakers that come there. They have events, concerts, pop concerts that take place in that very spot. And today, what you are reading in Acts 26 took place in that very spot. So I want you to put yourself 2,000 years ago. You're in the amphitheater of Caesarea, and, and, and we begin... In verse 1, it says this. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. Now I want to I stop here because some of you may be thinking, Troy, you're, the movie's like halfway through. What's going on here? Let me catch you up for a moment. It's, it's about 24 years after Christ was crucified. So about AD 57, something like that. Luke is writing the book of Acts. He's a physician, tremendous amount of detail. He writes it in a very unique way with a ton of detail, a ton of evidence. He's focusing a lot on this guy by the name of Paul, who is standing here in this arena. Now, Paul is standing here, and, and he's standing in front of, well, a bunch of people. There's been a lot of people that have come to watch his accusers. He's actually on trial. He doesn't have a defense attorney. What you can see here is he's his own defense attorney. He's going to make his own defense. And as he's standing there, you have these Jewish people, the Pharisees, the people that have come here accusing him. But there are three people that really matter that are in authority that are standing there. The first one is this guy by the name of Festus. And Festus, is, um, he's the governor of this area of Judea. His job was to work for the Romans, but to keep things under control. And he has a problem. See, his problem is when he took control just not long ago, um, his predecessor named Felix had died. And, and so when he takes over for Felix, the Jewish religious leaders show up and they are like, hey, there's a guy in prison named Paul, we want him dead. Well, Festus says, well, hold on here. I appreciate that, but he's a Roman citizen. Paul's a Roman citizen, and, and I, I have to know what the legitimate charges are against this guy. I, I can't just put him on trial and throw him in prison, much less put him to death. And so he's in a bind. He's like, what do I do? Well, he's trying to keep the peace, but he also has to follow the law. And so Paul says something. Paul actually says, you know what? As a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar. That is my right. I appeal to Caesar himself. And Festus is like, yahoo, not my problem. Pass the buck. In fact, he actually says to him, he says, to Caesar you have appealed, and to Caesar you shall go. Problem solved. But there's one step before you get to Caesar, and that is this guy by the name of Agrippa. You saw his name a moment ago. Agrippa is right now the king of Judea, above the governor. Now, Agrippa is not the first Agrippa. He's actually the second Agrippa. He actually is the last in the line of the Herods. There were four Herods, and this was a nasty, messed-up family, guys. You see, his great-grandfather, Herod the Great, was the guy who once issued a decree to have all the babies two years old and younger to be killed because he was trying to find this Messiah, Jesus, before, uh, before he could grow up to, to threaten his reign. That was his great-grandfather. His grandfather was the guy who, at a dinner party, cut off the head of John the Baptist, put it on a platter, and walked around for everybody to see it. His father, Agrippa I, 
killed the, the apostle James. And so now you have Agrippa II. He is sitting here, and, and Paul is standing in front of him, and he is a nasty dude. Paul knows exactly the kind of person that he's talking to. I'll tell you how messed up this family was. The third person sitting there is a woman by the name of Bernice. Bernice is his sister, but is also the woman that he's having an incestuous relationship with. It was a messed up family. Paul knew what he was doing, and he's standing right there, and look at what he says. He says in verse 2, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all of the accusations of these Jews, especially because you are familiar with all of the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. See, what's interesting to me when you look at this scene, he knows who he's talking to, but did you see the respect in which he, he is giving to Agrippa? What's interesting is over and over again in Paul's writings, you see it over and over again later on in the New Testament, he constantly reminds other followers of Christ who are being persecuted, he reminds them that they have a responsibility to respect the authority upon under which they live because whether they are good or whether they are evil, God for some reason has ordained them to be in place at that moment in time for a reason that you may not fully even understand. It's the same call that we have on our lives as much as we may not always want to hear it. Paul is actually following through with, with this because he also knows a lot about Agrippa. He knows Agrippa has uh, Jewish ancestry, so he knows the history, the traditions. He knows the prophecies of old. And so when he's standing here, he's saying, look, I'm going to give my defense, and I would just ask you to just listen to me patiently. Just listen to me. And he goes on and, 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 and says this. Actually, before I do that, the other thing I find interesting is when he walks in here, he's not ad-libbing. He's not just winging it, throwing some stuff out. He knew his audience, and he was prepared. He's actually living out what Peter, the apostle Peter, had told people. If you look at uh, Peter ver chapter 3, verse 15, uh, this is what Peter said. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and to do it with gentleness and respect. Be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. You know, if you're here today and you are a believer in Christ, you call yourself a Christian. If at some point you've given yourself to Christ, I have a question for you. Could you do that? If somebody walked up to you tomorrow and said, man, you, your job is crazy. You are so busy. How is it that you also find time to volunteer at the church? How do you do that? Or if somebody walked up to you and said, man, I saw your life this last year, and I know you dealt with a ton of terrible catastrophes almost in your life. So how is it that you walk around every day and there seems to be joy in you and there's some hope? You're always in a good spirit. How is that possible? Or if they come to you and said, hey, I know you have a lot of little kids and you are running around like crazy to, to softball and baseball and everything, all the things that you do, how is it that you still find time to take meals to people that are hurting or go see somebody in the hospital or volunteer in, in, in the community somewhere? How do you have time to do that? My question for you is this. Could you, this is for the believers in here, could you answer that question? Do you have, I hate to say it, a prepared speech? That you could give and you don't have to be a theologian but could you say something like look thank you for saying that my life's not all all warm and fuzzy but um 
I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus is, is my Lord and Savior, and he told me two things to do, to love God and to love others, and I do my best. I do my best, and that's where I get my hope, period. Could you do that? Could you piece together the words? Maybe more importantly, could you have the confidence to do it, or would you be embarrassed to say those two sentences? If your answer is you, you, you might not feel comfortable, you might be embarrassed to say that, I would encourage you that in the year 24, maybe this is a time for you to reconnect with God and say, God, give me the confidence to live a life that is consistent with how you want me. Let me not be ashamed to proclaim you. But a bigger question is this, would anyone ever walk up and ask you that question? Would anyone ever walk up to you and say, I know you're busy, but why do you serve others? I know that you're, you've had some crazy stuff going on in your life, but why is there always a hope or joy in your life? Would anyone ever ask you that question? Would anyone in your life actually see evidence of that in your life? Or do you look like, do you sound like, do, do the words come out of your mouth, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the way you speak, does it look like everybody else around? If you're here today, guys, and you call yourself a Christian, my question is, is there any evidence in your life of it? Paul is standing here today, and he is prepared to give his defense for the fact that there is evidence in his life. But what he does is he starts out first to claim credibility in the moment. Look what he does. In verse 4, he says, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, it's known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. He's claiming credibility. He's like, look, guys, I'm not just some sh regular Joe Schmo that you drug in here. All these people, Festus, Agrippa, Bernice, they all know me. I went to high school with them. We all got letter jackets together. I mean, we know each other. They know my background. They know I, I studied under Gamaliel at the time was the most important theologian uh, in the history, really, of Judaism. He says, I lived as the strictest Pharisee. That means a religious leader. I, was, I lived so strict, and they all know this about me. But he continues in verse 6. He says, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. Let me, what he's saying is, look, this. He said, I stand here on trial. These people know me, and I stand here on trial being accused. Why? Because I proclaim hope. It's the same hope that they proclaim. The hope is that for thousands of years, God has promised them that a Messiah would come, and that Messiah would save the world. And he says, look, I am proclaiming that same hope, but here's how he separates from them. He says, and for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? What he is saying is, look, we are all looking for that same hope. We are all praying earnestly day and night for it. But what I'm telling you is this. I'm telling you is it's not a future hope. The hope is now. Jesus, that Messiah, has come. He was crucified and he rose from the dead. And it is for that reason that I am telling you, I'm trying to make obvious to you that the hope has now been fulfilled that you want me killed. 
he's making this claim and he is saying, it is because of my belief in Jesus that I believe he rose from the dead that you want me to be put to death. Now, it's right here and now that Paul is going to um, mark his life in two ways. He's going to mark his life in, in, in a B.C. life before he encountered Christ. And then he's going to mark his way in an A.C. life after he encountered Christ. And the point in the middle, the, the point, the inflection point occurs is when he had a personal encounter with Jesus. And when that point happened, it flipped him into his A.C. life, never to go back. Look what he says as he describes. And guys, I will tell you today, this, I truly believe, is the only true commonality that we have as human beings. Whether you're black or white or Hispanic or Asian, whether you are rich or poor, wherever you're from, it is the fact that what we will have in common is we were going to have a before we encounter Christ's life and after we encounter Christ's life. And each and every one of us at some point, whether we're five or 90, will encounter Christ. Look what he says about his BC life. In verse nine, he says this. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after I received authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all of the synagogues. I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even into foreign cities. He said, I went a long way to persecute and kill Christians. Paul is saying, let me tell you about my BC life, my before Christ encounter life. It wasn't pretty. I was a murderer. I persecuted people for no good reason. That was the kind of person I was. In fact, what we know earlier in Acts, the first time we see Paul, his name was actually Saul. He was a young man. A guy by the name of Stephen proclaims that Jesus rose from the dead. The people around didn't want to hear it, and so they surround him, and they take rocks, and they start throwing rocks, and they throw so many rocks, so many heavy rocks, they throw them so hard that they literally kill Stephen. And standing on the side is a guy, is our young Paul, He's standing there, and the Bible tells us that he was holding the coats of the people throwing the rocks so that those rocks would not get covered in dirt and blood. That's the guy we're talking about here. Now, look, guys, we all have a B.C. life, right? We, we all have a B.C. life. Before we encountered Christ. You know, Paul actually said this. He actually said, you know, Christ came into the world to save sinners, but he said this about himself, but I'm chief among them. Look, I'm not sure what your BC life is like. Maybe you're still living in your before Christ encounter life. You've never really had a personal engagement with him. And that's where you stand here today. Today, what I would tell you is I hope that today is the moment that you will have an encounter with him. And when it happens, there's no going back. There's no going back. Maybe your BC life was, was marked by addiction. Or maybe it was marked by somebody who just constantly held grievances against someone, or maybe it was just pure selfishness. God forbid, maybe you were a Texas Longhorn, whatever it may be. Uh, yeah, you guys got a big game coming up. Anyway. I'm not sure what your BC life was marked by. What I can tell you is it wasn't as bad as Paul's. He continues in verse 12, he says, in this connection, in other words, in, in this same vein, I was journeying to Damascus 
with the authority and commission of the chief priest. He was heading to Syria. He's telling a story. I was headed to Syria. I was going to go kill some more Christians. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, language, Saul, Saul, that was his name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. As Paul is sitting here in this arena, talking to Festus, talking to Bernice, and talking to Agrippa, he's retelling a story that we actually read in Acts chapter 9. It is Paul's conversion, his encounter with Jesus Christ. He's saying, let me tell you what happened to me. I was on the road to Damascus. Bright light occurs. Uh, We are all blinded by the light. In fact, we know Paul is actually blinded for a time period. He hears this booming voice, and the voice, we heard what it said. It said, why are you persecuting me? He even says, the, the voice says, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? What that means, a goad is, would be like a long stick with like something pointy at the end that someone would use to poke like the rear end of a, of a donkey or a mule to make it go in a certain direction. And if that donkey would kick back, it doesn't hurt because it's just kicking this long pole. And so it's, it's, a, it's a waste of time. It's... it's is fruitless because you keep getting goaded. And so this voice comes to him and says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. The, the voice was Jesus saying, look, what you're doing, you're fighting against inevitability. Jesus is saying, I'm inevitable. This movement, this change of the world is inevitable. Why are you pushing back? What I also love is the fact that Jesus isn't saying, why did you used to persecute me? He's saying, why are you persecuting me? You see, at the moment that Paul had this encounter with Christ, he hadn't fixed his life. He hadn't stopped all the things of his B.C. life. A lot of us walk into here, into church, and think, the only way that I can can encounter God is if I stop doing all these things. Guys, God will meet you where you are. Whatever junk you bring in here today, God will meet you right where you are. See, Jesus tells him this, and, and he continues. Uh, he, once again, he's retelling the story that this voice told him, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness of the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. I, I kind of like the NIV translation a little better, where he says, I, I have um, appointed you as a servant and witness to the things that you have seen and will see in me. He's saying, I have a purpose for you now, Paul. I don't care about your past. Your BC life is done. I am now encountering you, and I have a purpose for your future. In verse 17, that voice continued to say, and I will deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Can you imagine the shock? This voice was saying, I am going to send you to The Gentiles, the very people that you hate. As a religious Jewish leader, you're a Jewish person focused on your people, and everyone else in the world is a Gentile. Those are the people I'm sending you. That's the purpose. And the reason I'm sending you to the Gentiles, in verse verse 18 it says this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and take a place among those who are sanctified by me. Guys, what an encounter this would be. What an encounter. 
I would love, sometimes I think to myself, God, show me the big bright light and the, the booming voice. I don't know, is that really what we want? It could be scary. What I will tell you is this. The BC life doesn't matter once you've encountered Christ. The encounter is the most important. But I would tell you what's even more important than the encounter is what you do with that encounter. Because when we encounter God, there is no going back. We are forced to make a decision. You will follow Christ or you will not. I'm not sure when your BC ended, when you encountered Christ. Maybe it was when you were young, when you were at church camp or maybe at VBS. Maybe you were out on a walk together. Maybe you were at a hotel room and you grabbed the Bible out of the, the, the table next to the bed. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe it's right here. But the question is, what will you do now with that encounter? What will you do now? See, Paul answered. He said, Agrippa, you've seen my BC life. I've told you about my encounter with Christ. And let me tell you what I've done with it. In verse 19, he says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. But instead, I declared first to those in Damascus, and then in Jerusalem, and throughout all of the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their presence. He said, I left there that moment, and I was obedient to the calling. My life changed. And when my life changed, I went and told everybody in Syria, in Damascus. I came back to Jerusalem. I told them. I went to everywhere in Judea. And the, what did I tell them? I told them it was a very simple message. And the message is the hope that the Jewish people have been longing for for thousands of years. It has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. A man, God, stepped out of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified on a cross. He was put in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again. That is the message of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And Paul said, I have dedicated my life, my AC life, to fulfilling that mission. If you are here today, maybe you're someone who has never encountered Christ before. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're feeling a tug. As you enter 23, exit 23 and enter 24, you're thinking, there's something that needs to change in me. That longingness, that emptiness, I'm tired of searching for things to fill it and people to fill it. I know that God can fill it. If that is you today, before you leave, before we end 23, I don't know when the next opportunity will be that you will have to have an encounter with Christ. I want to give you the opportunity to take advantage of that moment right now. Will you guys just close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment? If you are here today and you are a person that is already a believer of Christ, or you call yourself a Christian, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Right where you sit, I want you to go to God and say, God, is there any evidence, once I get out of this blue chair and leave this campus, is there any evidence in my life that people would see that shows that I'm a follower of yours? The two things you told me to do, to love God and to love others, is it evident in my life? And if you're here today, guys, and, and you can't say that with confidence, that there is 
something different in your life, I would encourage you to go to God and say, God, have I ever really surrendered to you? Or have I just wanted to call myself a Christian because it, it, it just makes me feel better? If you're here today and that is you, I'd encourage you to just go to God in prayer and say, God, just help me confess. Save me of my sins. Transform my life. But if you're here today and you are someone who's never had that encounter, and today you don't even understand the story, you've never heard this story before, you're here today and, and, and you don't even understand fully the Bible, but you know that there's something pulling at your heart. The Bible says this, that if Jesus' own word says, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I am your Lord, that you will be saved. And that means the Holy Spirit will come and, and will immerse himself with you. It's like a, a tattoo on our soul that can never be erased. That means we get to live eternity with God in heaven, but that eternity doesn't begin when we die, it begins today. Where the Holy Spirit will give us a sense of peace, a sense of comfort. It doesn't mean the world is perfect tomorrow, but it means we have a source of joy that we never had before. You can go to God right where you sit. You can say a prayer like this, God, I don't even fully understand what it all means. I, 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 I don't understand exactly what you want out of my life, but I know right now where I sit that what I want is I want you. So God, I pray that you will forgive me of my sins, that my, my BC life, make it go away. Save me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for each and every person who may have prayed that prayer here today, God. God, I thank you because there is celebrations in heaven for every single person who's given their life to you that entered into your family today, God. I pray, God, that as we exit 23 and go into 24, that you will be honored in our lives, that people will actually see how we live life. God, as we go into communion, I pray, Lord, that you bless this moment. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to do communion real quick.